Hello, and thank you for listening to the 10th anniversary episode of the History of World War II podcast. Back on July 10th, 2010, I was at a dead-end job, it was right in the middle of the global financial crisis, and I had very little in my life that was making me happy. And I had been pondering doing a World War II podcast. So I said to myself, Self, you have nothing to lose, and no one else is doing it. What's the worst that could possibly happen? So here I am, 10 years later, 296 episodes in. I'm up to March of 1942. And yes, during moments of quiet, I ask myself, what in the hell did I get myself into, and will I ever finish? Honestly, I have no idea, but I'm having fun, and I'm learning, so the rest can take care of itself. I have corresponded and met many wonderful people over the years. I've heard some great stories that you, the listeners, have shared with me about your relatives' experiences in the war, and I could never thank you enough for that. So this isn't going to be a monologue because I'm not that interesting. I wanted to bring someone on who's improved this podcast and its website over the years. Uh, Paul Finch, who is in Scotland, welcome to the show. And again, thank you for all that you have done for me over the years. Well, thank you for all you've done for everyone who's a listener, Ray. So Uh probably my history with the podcast going back to 2012, I think, was the first time or 2011, actually, was the first time I, I got in contact with you. Not long right. after you had started the show, I was listening intently on my bus ride to work every morning, and then suddenly, abruptly, about a month went by, and <laughs> no new episodes came out, and I thought, oh, that's strange, or I wonder if Ray's right. just given up. And then, by chance, I thought, oh, I'm going to Google and see if there's another World War II history podcast there, and found your podcast again on a, yes. a separate feed in iTunes with maybe 10 more episodes than, than the last one did. And I thought, all right, there's something not quite going going right there. And there's a, a, a sort of recent graduate student. I, I thought, what what kind of way could I contribute to Ray's podca- podcast? Because I know a lot of people over the years have, have kindly sent in donations. At the time, I didn't really have any monetary value to donate but i i I could donate my time and my expertise to to help you to overcome (laughs) some of the uh, itunes challenges you were having well here's the here's the other half of that story by the time you emailed me i was on my third or fourth hosting platform i barely know what i'm talking about and the one that was uh that apple had at the time and you may remember this that the maximum number of episodes was 50 so i said well can I cover World War II, the Pacific, the European theater? Can I cover all of that in 50 episodes? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll get in. I'll knock it out. I'll get out. I'll move on with my life. Because it was basically something to give me some happiness because my life was not at a good point. But I, I did truly believe at the time I could knock out World War II in 50 episodes. It turns out I was off by a bit. So, <laughs> yeah. And I think for for. For people not in the the technical podcasting world, there is quite a lot that goes into the background of a podcast to make it sing and dance, so to speak. There's a lot of complicated issues that that go with running a successful podcast out with just recording it and hit and publish. There's there's obviously the way it ties into the website. There's the way it syncs with all the various podcatchers and platforms and 
there's a lot of stuff that if you don't get right, the podcast just won't be seen or will end up way down the rankings or it it is quite a technical subject. And uh, I would say that being kind, Ray, you're you're probably not the most technical guy I've ever met. (laughs) I would second that and third it. Yes. Well, see, and if I could just real quick, and I and I and this is completely me being honest, not just um, kissing your butt and thanking you. The moment you came on and took over, we've been through a couple of websites. We've made we you made some changes or whatever. But the moment you came on, I haven't had any issues and being able to take all of that technical stuff and push it to the side and just focus on the content. I truly mean this when I say that's probably helped me on a couple of occasions not throw this whole thing out and just go back to having a normal life so i i i and my family cannot thank you enough for taking over that part of it because it was truly infuriating and i'm 100 percent glad to have done it and been a part of it ever since okay so i'm hard to believe that that 10 years later you're you're still halfway through world war ii <laughs> Yeah, I get a lot of emails from people about, you know, the war didn't take this long, Ray. And I'm like, I'm I'm sorry. I'm doing the best I can. And because I see the background of the podcast, I I know quite a lot of stats about it. I know the average listenership. And all I'm saying, Ray, is some of your main fan base might not get to the end. (laughs) Well, that is just an incentive for me to hurry up and finish. Um, But... Now that I'm doing, I've been doing this full time for two years now. I uh, all the other, for, I've been doing this for ten years, but the last two and a half years, this has been my gig full time. And so, I there are times when I hit a really good stretch, and I'll do like one a week for like five or six weeks, and everything's going along. Uh, but then something comes up, and my whole system gets out of whack. And when my system gets messed up, it, it messes me up. I'm not the most organized or focused person in the world, believe that or not. Uh, but when, I, when I'm when i on the jazz, as they say in the A-team, I can I can be pretty productive. But the point is I'm, I'm hoping to speed this up as we go on because, yeah, a lot of people have written to me and said, Ray, with all due respect, I'm probably going to be dead before you finish. And that just motivates me to, to stick my nose back into the book and put out another episode. Well, everyone loves a cliffhanger. <laughs> Can Ray get it done before everybody dies? Can Ray get it done before Ray dies? Who knows? We'll, we'll see. So, um, so some people we've gotten some people to send us in questions. Some of you were um, very nice with your questions. Some of you were very challenging, and some of you were just trying to, uh, I don't know, um, give me a stroke. I'm, I'm having to do a lot of work just to be able to answer these questions. But uh, Paul and I, we've, we've gathered some of these together, and we're just going to go through those. Paul will pitch them out to me, and I will react as best I can. So I would say that a lot of people sent in questions, yeah. and a lot of people sent in questions that were, let's say, not exactly the same question, but in a roundabout way. Sure. They're trying to get to the same thing. Right. So I've, I've sort of reworded some of the questions to uh, – reflect what people were asking and then some of the questions are uh, direct exactly how how they were they were posed right. so probably one of the most common ones ray you sort of touched on it in your introduction was what actually made you start the podcast what or what what was going on in your life at the time that you you started that you put out that first episode 
Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try to make this quick. Um, I had a good job. Everything in my life was good. Um, the wife had gotten me an iPod. I started listening to podcasts and everything's fine. The global financial crisis comes along. I lose my job. I have to, I have to settle for a crap job that doesn't pay, that has no future. I'm completely miserable. And I'm pondering the idea of doing a podcast just to give myself a hobby, something to feed my soul. But when I first got the, the uh, iPod, I looked up World War II podcasts just because I knew there was one out there. How could there not be one out there? And there wasn't. Um, so I was devastated. And I'm like, well, I could do one. And I, I wrote episodes. Uh, and then it just sat there for six months because I was one, intimidated. Two, I hate the sound of my own voice. And three, the technical side. But my life wasn't getting any better. So I said, what the heck? I gave my wife some money. She took the kids to the movies. I was alone in the house. I recorded the first episode, which was not even 12 minutes long. And I launched it on iTunes thinking, I mean, no one else is doing it. And you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? And so it was literally just a desperation to have something in my life that was positive, obviously, besides my family, that made me happy. And that's pretty much how the whole thing got started. And in today's view, knowing back 10 years ago, what the podcast world was like, a much smaller world back then. Now, everyone's got a podcast <laughs> name a celebrity they've got a podcast <laughs> name a topic there's a podcast about it i uh, think uh, th- there's even a podcast now about 1980s roller skates specifically <laughs> 1980s ones that's my so, other one uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i would i'm sorry to mean to cut you off but i went to two conferences in the last couple of years and they were both saying, yeah, Ray, when you got started, there wasn't much out there. Now everybody's got one. And I think that was their way of saying, so, Ray, it's not you and the quality of your content. It's the fact that there just wasn't a lot of competition, which is fine, whatever. You know, people listen and they're happy with it. But basically, and I, and I don't know how this sounds or how this comes across, but I'm doing this podcast for me. If somebody else was doing the podcast, what would I want? You know, what would I want to hear? What would I want to cover? So basically, I'm investigating all the little nooks and crannies of World War II that I can, and I put them out on the episode. So I, I think as long as I keep doing that, I think the listeners will generally be satisfied. I think, I think that's a, a very good answer. Thank uh, you. And in the same vein, a lot of people asked, how is your life different now? <laughs> being a full-time podcaster to what it was before. Right. Okay. Well, here's the short answer. One, I'm barely married. I'm, I'm hanging on to my wife uh, by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> what I have to do, and, and I am not joking, because as you as you know, I also do uh, podcasts, historical podcasts with Cameron Riley, um, and we have like four of them going on. So I have to, and this is going to sound heartless, and I apologize, but it's reality. I schedule time for my wife and family and dog. And when that time is not scheduled, I am working. I pretty much work seven days a week. I work until 11 o'clock at night. Yes, I'm doing it with some whiskey and a cigar and I'm reading a book, but it, but it's work. Don't let anybody tell you different. But basically, I spend most of my time doing it because I'm trying to hit certain deadlines I have throughout the week. And if I don't hit those deadlines, the money drops. And this is a job now. This is how I take care of my family. So I pretty much block out time for them. And if that's not blocked out, I'm somewhere reading or writing or editing or recording or doing something. It's not fun, but it's, it's, I've had worse jobs. 
And what one of the listeners, um, I'm not going to use people's full, name, full names, but Will S. asked, uh, how has your time doing the podcast affected your family? Net positive? Would your <laughs> wife agree? Uh, no, she would not agree uh, that it's been a positive thing. Um, she, she First, she started off making jokes about missing me, and then she started making jokes about um, having other lovers. And then I wasn't sure she was joking anymore. So I, so I did go too far. I had to pull it back. But basically, um, I, I probably spend too much time doing this, but it's hard for me. I would be lying if I didn't say it wasn't a labor of love because I absolutely love doing this. And I've got books all over the place and I get to do I get to basically take a hobby and turn it into a job. So I'm having a great time, but I've gotten better over the years. Certainly since I've been doing this from home for the last two two and a half years, of spending a lot more time with them and having having time with the kids and we I just put everything down and we just go to the park for the uh, for the day that kind of stuff. But there was there was a time when uh I was in my office a little too much uh, for the wife. So we're, we're, we've worked all that out now. And uh, a very popular question. Yeah. Does your wife listen to any of the episodes? <laughs> my wife, no. She doesn't listen. Um, it's not that she doesn't care. She, she listens to podcasts, just not mine. She's not really, she, she'll do some history, but it's murder mystery. It's period pieces. It's true crime, um, which kind of freaks me out because she'll be listening to some of the most gory, intense stuff that would give me nightmares, but she loves it. So no, she doesn't listen to mine, but she tolerates me doing it. Um, I think we, you're yeah. you, you're almost describing my wife. Um, yeah. Quite often she'll go upstairs, have a relaxing bath. I'll be halfway up the stairs just to check if she's okay, right. and I'll be hearing the gory details of how <laughs> somebody chops somebody into pieces, and then yes. we put yes. them down the toilet and dissolve them in acid, and she loves she's it. sitting back in the bath, yeah. having a great time. And I'm like, how can you listen to that? Or even when she was pregnant. She would lie in the bed oh, uh, and right. wake up at all times in the morning and uh, put on a nice, relaxing, gory murder episode. <laughs> and it, it's the creepy theme tunes that are like nursery rhymes and creepy voices. Yes. And, you know, I'd wake up from some, I'm, I was having these lucid, half waking nightmares that I'd be bludgeoned to death in my bed. Right. She loves it. She And she talks to her mom and her sisters about it. It's like a book club, but if the books were covered in blood, I, I don't get it. I don't know. And you could probably tell on the podcast, I stay away from a lot of gore, even though war is mostly gore. It's just not something I can do. So I don't know what I'm going to do when I get to the Holocaust and some other stuff. But she, maybe I should get her to do those episodes. But she is fascinated by that stuff and and I don't get it so I accept her the way she is and hopefully she accepts me the way I am. Hopefully. So on to the next question right. Yes. Have you ever encountered a super fan in real life or been recognized? Yes, I have been recognized. Uh we were where were we? We were in Rome. Cam and I were walking down the street in Rome and, and Cam's like this big, tall, good looking guy. And I'm the exact opposite of all of that. But she comes up to me and she goes, excuse me, are you Ray Harris? And I'm like, oh, do I owe her money? Did we have a child together 18 years ago? You know, what, what's going on here? But I just went, yes, yes, I am. She goes, oh, I love you. 
shot. I'm like, oh, thank you very much. Uh, was that a stroke for my ego? Of course it was, because I'm only human. So that happened I, once in Rome and once in Vegas. And I loved it both times. And was it a sort of gut punch for Cam that, that he didn't rec- she didn't recognize he, him? He brought, <laughs> he brought it up. <laughs> he still brings it up to this day. So I'm going to say the answer is yes. Yes. It, right. Still, it, still stings. It still stings. <laughs> a bit. A bit. Now, and I can actually say that I, I have been recognized, not physically, um, right. but I've been recognized uh, as your web guru oh, there you uh, go. At, a, at a Star Trek convention. Nice. That somebody was just asking me what I did for a job. I was saying that I look after websites, do graphic design, that sort of thing. And he said, oh, have you ever, ever done a, a website I would have heard of? Uh, and obviously, like most people, I generally work on quite corporate and boring stuff. Yeah. Um, and I said, oh, well, probably the uh, the website I've done that's, you know, out of that sort of uh, realm would be the World War Two podcast site. And they said, oh, are you that, Paul? <laughs> I said, uh, I was like, what? I, yes, what I do you guess. mean that? Ray says on the episode that, that, that there's a guy in Scotland called Paul, and you're Scottish, and your name's Paul. Is that so, it? And I was like, oh, yeah, be. that's me. He's like, and then they started asking me, like, oh, how's Ray? And uh, oh, next time you're chatting with Ray, I would come on to speak to him. I'm like, uh, yeah, I bet you would. That's as close as we're ever going to get to celebrity. So just enjoy it and. and Go on with your life. That's what I do. I, again, this doesn't happen to me a lot, but it was fun the the, first, the uh, two times that it happened. And uh, I did get a rather creepy email that wasn't as much a quest, question, more of a statement. And I, and I won't say the person's name, but essentially to to summarize, because there might be children listening. Sure, uh, sure. So if the adults read between the lines, basically this man uh, goes to bed, puts on your podcast episode as as uh, i'm sure many men around the world do uh, mm. and wife's lying in bed next turn and uh, apparently uh, the sound of your voice has <laughs> improved things for him <laughs> i thought okay wow i thought you were going to go in a different direction because to know me to listen to me, to spend any time with me is is pretty much you're halfway asleep already. So the idea that it actually benefits someone, uh, I thought you were going to say they all fall asleep to my voice, but uh, I don't know how to take that. So thank you. I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, I think we'll leave that one there. <laughs> we'll leave it. Okay, put a pin in it. Uh, another, uh, another quite quite often asked question um first person asked it a guy called tim m that wrote in will you ever be writing a book okay so here is the the truth on that um i have started a book on the rise of the nazi party uh and comparing it to some things that i've seen in the united states because people because the general assumption for a lot of people um who even if you just know the basics of World War II, they're like, oh, the Nazi thing, oh, that could never happen again. That was a crazy time, and there was all these special conditions, and nothing that extreme will ever happen again. Well, that's not really how it works. And so I wanted to do a book about, let me tell you the general 
rise of Nazi uh, in Nazi Germany and then or in Germany and then give you an idea of how it can happen in other places because there's nothing special about that you know you get the right circumstances and the right people and they're dedicated and they're willing to to bend the rules it can happen again so that was one idea and I was like nah, nah, I don't know and so that just kind of fizzled out then I started a movie script based on Operation Pedestal. And that would be just a rip-roaring roller coaster of a ride. Some ships are trying to get through to the Mediterranean to get to Malta to resupply it. We don't have to go into that, but the point is it would be it would be a heck of a movie. So if there's anybody in the movie biz out there, get with me. But I'm like, I'm writing that, and I'm like, eh, I don't know. Then my wife and I were going to write a book for teens to cover World War II. So, so here's the general story of World War II without the details and the gore and some of the more hideous stuff. Uh, so we're still thinking about that. But actually, last month, I turned down a very specific book deal because uh, the pay wasn't all that great. And I thought about it, and I was basically, I could spend two months writing this book or I could spend two months putting out episodes. The book may not get published. They may not like it. It may not do well. I might may not make any money, but if I spend two months putting out episodes, I know I'm going to get paid. I know I'm going to be able to make the house payment and keep the family safe and all that kind of stuff. So I just kind of went with you know, the more safe route. And so is there a book out there? Yeah, there's stuff brewing in my head all the time. Um, so who knows? But for right now, I'm just having fun doing the podcast. And and I know I'm, I joke a lot, but I don't have this massive ego. I don't need a book. I don't need a film. I don't need a documentary. I don't need to go to conferences and give speeches and sign. It, it, it's not me. You don't you don't care about me. It's I'm standing on the shoulders of people who have done incredible things and, and historians who have written books and stuff like that. I'm just telling a story. So there's no ego here. I don't need a book. It might happen one day just because the right circumstances fall into place, but it's not something that I'm absolutely dying to do. I don't know if that's the right answer, but that's where I'm at. And, and just to go back to the, to the yeah. start a little bit, I don't know if everyone knows, but you are actually an academic historian by training ray you you went to university and studied history that was right wasn't it yes i james madison university have a degree taught for high school for a couple of years so so i've got the sheepskin um but the whole thing with world war ii was it happened when i was 12 years old watching hogan's heroes and i needed to know more about the what the heck was the eastern front and those uniforms are cool and what are those accents and are they the good guys or the bad i was young i didn't know and I've just been fascinated with World War II since the age of 12. And so I have a history degree, but the research for World War II started a very long time ago. This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. I've stressed this in my podcast about command and control, which is exactly what Yahoo Finance is. You can see all your investments and retirement accounts in one place. You can consolidate your views from multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, and they've worked things out. You've got the tools you need right at your fingertips. 
I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing is all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com The number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com That's YahooFinance.com And a bit of a lighter question now. Good. If you could have a beer with any person featured in an episode, who would it be and why? And that was from (laughs) Alex A. Alex. Oh, Alex has entered every contest I've ever had, and I think he finally won one time. So good for you, Alex. I I don't know. I mean, um, I would love to sit down with uh, Nimitz right before he sent out to Hawaii. And I'm like, oh, my God, the world is on fire. You're expected to go out there with a percentage of what America produces, because most of it's going to go to Europe. And you're expected to stay out there. I think the, the quote is something like stay out there until the war is over, or until the Japanese are whipped or whatever. But I don't know, something like that. Uh, General MacArthur, uh, excuse me, General uh, George Marshall has always fascinated me. The ultimate professional, no ego, no politics, get the job done. Don't give me any BS. People like that, uh, they always have my admiration because there are so many people out there who are spin artists or all they are good for is a word or a smile or an image or whatever. But you give, you get real people, men, women, it doesn't matter, who focused on the job and they're not thinking about themselves and it's the bigger cause. People like that always get my respect. So someone like that, I would like to sit down and just um, ask them some questions. Fascinating answer. Now, this next sort of section of questions is, is I'm going to say ones that are in a similar vein. They're, they're, they're sort of about the characters that, that you encounter during World War II or the, the characters that you admire. So the next question is from Luke R., he says, right. out of all the characters that played a part in World War II story across many nations, would you think you're most like, and which one <laughs> would you aspire to be? That was Luke. Oh, good God, Luke. Okay. Um, all right, Luke, I, if you want to give me a question like that, I can be unpredictable. Who am I most like? This will probably catch you by surprise, Luke. I would say... Clement Attlee, not a name you think of when it comes to World War II. He was the uh, the second the the second most powerful guy in the UK during World War II. His job was to see the over the domestic affairs of uh, of uh, Britain, keep everything running smoothly so Churchill could work on uh, focus on the war. That's not sexy, but it's essential. If he doesn't do his job, it all falls apart. Um, making more equipment, gathering food, you know, logistics and all that stuff. I learned a long time ago that it's the people that you don't recognize. It's the ones, the grunts, whatever you want to call them, the people who are doing the lower level stuff that makes the warriors possible. You know, it makes the tip of the spear possible. So someone like Clement Attlee is kind of who I am. If you need someone to talk to people, I can do that. If you need to shut someone in a room and they shuffle papers and they file or they get stuff done, I can do that. I can adapt. So someone like Clement Attlee, I would see myself more like him. I am certainly not like Churchill or or FDR, that kind of stuff. Those people, and I admire them and they have their place, but, you know, let me be part of the team and and I don't need any fanfare. Let me just help move the ball forward. And and I'm happy with that. Uh, And so where would you aspire to be? (sighs) 
Ooh, again, I'm going to have to go back to someone like General George Marshall, who's basically running the war for the United States. He could bring someone into the room and just say, like, I don't have time for BS. I don't have time for egos. I don't have time for you to worry about where you're going to be at in five years, your diary, your political career. You're either the right person for the job or you're not. And if you're not, get out of my face until I, and, and let me go find someone who can. He was focused on the bigger picture, on ending the war as soon as he possibly could, on saving American and allied lives. Marshall didn't play games. And again, there's just something about someone who can sacrifice themselves for a bigger cause that just gets my respect. And and I, I would love to be around and work for someone like that. And I would happily do so. If there were more people like that, real men, real women, real professionals, I think the world would be a better place. And I see a lot of this in your interview episodes that people who write books or or come up with movie ideas, Mm -hmm. it isn't always about the grandest of plans or the epic battles. It's about the stories of individual people or something that's quite small in the overall terms of World War II as a story. Right. Well, if I could respond to that real quick, um, what's that old saying that you hear all the time? You know, the longest journey begins with a single step. Or what's the other one about how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. So the point is, all these little things, whether it's someone doing the job in an office or it's this just this little tiny bit of progress in the war, when you have a whole bunch of them and they move forward, that's the real story. That's the story of success, of victory in World War II or, or accomplishing something. And that's the stuff. It can easily be missed. But if you really examine it, you really get a sense of how things were won or how things happened in the war. And I just find those kind of things very fascinating. So similar sort of question again, Ray. Uh, this is from Steve C. And, and he asked, what famous historical figure is the most overrated in terms of reputation? And on the flip side, which historical figure is the most underrated? Right. Um, I'm probably going to make a lot of people mad here, but I'm going to have to say... Um, Someone like MacArthur, General Douglas MacArthur, he, when he, when the war first gets underway, he makes a lot of mistakes, which you can't blame him for. A lot of people made mistakes, but he truly thought he could do so much of it on his own and he could do it with the army and not the Navy and not the Air Force. And that's not how modern warfare works. So, and a lot of you know this already, but whenever he writes back to Washington or whatever, his his letters all have I, 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 I in it. So it makes it sound like he's the end all be all. And if you don't have him in charge, it's all going to go to hell. So he does evolve over time. He does learn to work with people. He does learn to incorporate the first, second and third dimensions of warfare. And he actually gets very good at it. And he blends those very well to the point where he's truly harassing the Japanese by 1943, but he's overrated in the first part just because he was so busy selling himself and the American people fell for it. I mean, he was the one hero that everybody was thinking about, uh, but it, it wasn't justified at the time. But he does come into his own by the time the war is over with. So for me, he's overrated, but he, he earns it later. And what about somebody that's underrated? Oh, God. Um... I will never forget the first time I read about General Richard O'Connor of Operation Compass in North Africa when he just 
He's supposed to go on a two- or three-day offensive against the Italians, and he ends up pushing them back hundreds of miles. Unassuming, just a guy, just just give me some guys. I'll make the plans. I'll get the maps, and I'll work it all out. Nothing sexy. Uh, someone like him or maybe General William Slim in Burma, that kind of thing. Um, and who was the American general that worked with Patton? Oh, my God, I'm looking right at him. But But just people that are like, you know what, I'm just – I'm just part of the team. Yeah, I'm in charge, but I'm just a general. And if you guys aren't fighting very well, I'm not a, an effective general. So a leader's job is to take care of the people and the people take care of the leader. It works like that. If you're too busy grandstanding, then you're kind of getting in the way of your own success. So Slim, maybe Richard O'Connor, something like that. Those are the people that we should know more about, but it's not in their nature. They just did their job and they went home. And I guess this is one of the things that you love about doing the the podcast is finding out about these, let's say, underappreciated characters. Yes. Yeah. Just, um, of course. Because, I mean, there's so many. There's so many moments of individual bravery scattered throughout the war. Hell, scattered throughout one day in the war. When you read someone who jumps on a grenade, who sacrifices themselves for for the for the guys around them, or there's a general that takes a hit to their to their reputation, which I know doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a big deal when you're a general. Uh, People that are just willing to sacrifice, and you've got all these little acts of bravery on different levels and different locations, and it's just just stuff like that that reaffirms my faith in humanity, which if you obviously, if you're watching the news at this point, it's very easy to have that shaken because you're like, oh my God, are, are, are our best times behind us and it's hard not to think yes especially when you have people like this doing incredible things during the war looking out for each other and i suppose this leads quite nicely to the the next question which came in from gavin f when researching your episodes how do you choose books to read on the subject and how many would you cross-reference oh my god okay so um that is the the craziest question because if you were to come to my house right now versus say four years ago, there are books all over the place. Um, on the table, I had to go out and buy a reinforced table because publishers send me books all the time. And I and I'll send you a picture. I'm not joking. So I've got several bookcases throughout the house scattered. I've got this massive table, and of course I got a, a ton of electronic and audio books. So. I'm getting books all the time, and it's actually to the point where it's overwhelming. But basically what I, what I do is I try not to overthink it, um, which, which a lot of people would use as a joke, but you, you really have to because there's, there's tens of thousands of books. So I find a book that covers the general period or the general event that I'm, that I'm going over just so I can have a good high-level review. This is how the war starts. This was the plans. These were the people involved. This is how it plays out, and here's the, the significance of the battle. So that's a good general book. And then I go in, and, and of course, because this is World War II, I can find books almost on certain events in a battle, almost on one day of a battle, or a certain personality or a certain point of view from the battle, Japanese and allied, that kind of stuff. So I'll get a one or two overviews, and then I'll go hardcore deep into some specific books. And then I just weave the stories together as best I can with what I already know about the World War II. And, th- and this, the, the listeners can answer this better than I can. I think I've gotten better over the years about 
telling the story? Because these are just facts. You know, on June 5th, uh, 40 planes came over and they dropped, you know, whatever. It's all facts. But you've got to be able to to tell a story, to weave, to have cliffhangers, to build up tension, to, to do all these things. And and I think I've gotten better at that. I don't think I truly appreciated that at first. Um, and I think the better you can tell a story that's already exciting, you're doing the best you can and you just don't overthink it. And how many of these things are are actually conflicting when you when you start to study a, a day or a battle or a person in minutia? How many reference books actually contradict one another? Yeah, there's there's um, there are people who write history books who were involved who are trying to cover their butts. There are people who have a political bent that will write a book about a battle or whatever, and they're trying to make America look good or make the enemy look even worse or, you know, something like that. And so there are people that play with the facts. And if you didn't read several different books on the same topic, you might not know that. You might just read one book and think that's that's the end-all, be-all. That's exactly what happened. And so that's when it gets tricky because then you have to make decisions and you have to make a, a gut check or a gut call. And I just do the best I can. And I know I've made mistakes and I know I've left things out. And it, but, but you learn as you go. It's a process. And hopefully in the next 10 years, when I'm wrapping this up, I'll be really, really, really good at it on the very last episode. I'm just doing the best I can. <laughs> A bit of a lighter-hearted question now, Ray. So Michael R. asks, during the podcast, what are the three things you've learned about World War II that surprised you? Yeah, this one was a tough one for me because, you know, it's it's if there's a hobby that you have, sometimes you don't remember when you learned something that was new. It just gets folded in or incorporated to your already stored knowledge. So this one was a little tricky for me. Um, and I think this was, uh, was this Michael in Melbourne, Australia. Um, yeah, that's right. I think one of the big things I learned, and again, I'm not here to, to ruffle feathers or to ruin anybody's already preconceived notions or whatever about the war, but um, the idea, the very strong possibility that Japan did not surrender because of the atomic bombs versus the Russians invading Manchuria, which is why they gave in, that was one of the things that made me rethink what I thought I knew about the war. Uh, another thing is uh, I didn't realize how many mistakes, military mistakes, uh, Churchill made as he did, especially in North Africa, pulling troops out of North Africa, going for Greece. But of course, he was brilliant in um, in, um, gathering ships for Dunkirk. And so I, I, my personal opinion, he should have did what FDR did, is let the men in uniform handle it. But Churchill was an adventurer. Obviously, he was in the military. He had experience, but he couldn't help but dabble his fingers into everything. And there are times when I think maybe if he'd stayed out of some of the uh, some of the issues, things might have run a little smoother. So, so it was hard for me to take someone like Churchill, who I admire. He is a personality, and to realize that he was that he was fallible. Uh, probably, probably one more thing. And again, this 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 could be a, a an episode. This could be a series of podcasts by itself. Um, did the idea that Hitler really could have won? In the East, when I was a kid, I didn't know any better. It's like, oh, you know, if he could have pulled that off, he could have, he could have, you know, maybe won the war or or been able to face the Western powers with more troops. But 
between the distances in Russia, the supplies, the supply lines, the partisans in his rear, the sheer number of Russian troops, the weather, the two-front war, um, not being able to deliver a knockout blow in the fall of 1941 or uh, early year of 1942, it just wasn't going to happen. And I, I think maybe I didn't really appreciate um, the impossible the, I guess the the odds that Hitler faced, but he believed in himself and he hadn't put a foot wrong yet. And I thought he thought there was just going to be one more victories because so far no one has been able to uh, to stall him. But Stalin, his planning, the troops, the distance and the winter gave Hitler his first defeat besides Dunkirk, obviously. And I've always been fascinated by how the, the Nazis were were influenced by mysticism. It seems so strange yes. when you see when you see how te- how far they push technology versus this deep rooted idea of mysticism. Just it's not it's not a part of the World War Two story that I think is is told very often. Obviously, there's specific documentaries about it, but in terms of a general overview of World War Two. I don't think that's something that's covered, and it gives a really unique insight into the mind of Hitler or the the mind of the German people. And I think it's one of the most interesting facets of it. Yeah, that's a good point because you have basically you have a couple of aspects. You have one, like you said, the technological side. We have better weapons. Um, we have. Uh, thicker tanks that can go faster and they have bigger guns. So, you know, we're going to do better. You've got, you so you got technology. On another level, you've got statements that um, Tojo or Hitler or Mussolini would make. Uh, our people are superior fighters to everybody else because our system of government is better. Fascism is, the, is a better form of government. We have better people, so we're going to be victorious. I mean, that's just good old-fashioned arrogance, racism, whatever you want to call it, cultural superiority. And, and I, can, I can go along with that. I mean, you can make someone believe that they're better than everybody else. That's one thing. But then there's what you just said. Mysticism, the occult, whatever you want to call it. Himmler was deep into that, even to the point when there were moments when Hitler would just roll his eyes at Himmler, who was in charge of the SS. And Hitler would give Himmler his way because he really didn't care about it. As long as you're not doing anything stupid or messing anything up, go do what you want. So when you get when you see the Indiana Jones films, yeah, that's that's Himmler and the SS looking for artifacts or they're drinking blood or whatever. They're they're trying to contact force forces or there's the occult. And they really thought that that would help them in the war. But again, that's something that could be explored more, but I think it's not just because it gets dismissed so quickly, but that doesn't mean it wasn't important to certain people within the Third Reich, and I that would that would be fascinating. So, a bit of fun here, Ray. What's your mm-hmm. favorite? What's your favorite war movie theme music to wash the dishes to? <laughs> Assuming you do wash dishes, I, I don't. I, I taught the kids that early on so they could take over. Um, believe it or not, I'm not. I, I can do soundtracks to movies. I can listen to that well enough, but that's not really wartime themes are not really my thing, but I will have to say, not that I have a huge pile of them or I listen to them a lot or frequently or, or whatever, but I would have to say patent 
It comes out in 1970. I was born in 1966. I remember watching the movie with my father. You've got the um, you've got the echoing horns at first, and then the flutes. I think they're flutes. They come in, and I think maybe just sitting there watching it with my dad, I got emotional connection to that movie. So that theme, that music, always meant a lot to me. But this is not something that I'm really into now. If my wife was here, movies, uh, excuse me, music from the 1940s and 50s. She's all over it. She knows all the words. She everything. She's obsessed with that. So older music and true crime are her only two passions. Certainly not my podcast, but that that's as far as it goes. I I, I just know what I like, but I but I haven't made a a, a hobby of studying that music. Well, Gareth uh, L that sent in this question, his is the Great Escape. Well, Gavin, if this is the Gavin that I'm thinking of. It's a ga- Gareth. Oh, okay, Gareth. sorry. Okay, I'll I'll scratch it out. Yes, it's probably my accent, Ray. Rather. Than- <laughs> so so Gareth, I'm sorry if I, if my if my answer was um, unsatisfactory, but it's just not my cup of tea. But I can certainly admire good music uh, when I come across it. And JRS asked if you ever had any classes with Dr. Heiser while at JMU. Yes, I remember Dr. Heiser, uh, which is a bit of a, um, I'm impressed with myself because that was back in 1996, but I do remember Dr. Heiser. Um, I remember, was it Jackson Hall um, on the quad? God, I can't remember, but basically I do remember him and I, and I liked that professor very much and I had a good time uh, in that class. So thank you, Jer. So I'd say, Ray, that this this pretty much comes to an end of what I'd say are are, are the fun, jovial questions, or the questions that are about you, or or about the podcast. Right. I would say a lot of people didn't send in questions. A lot of people sent in basically thank you letters oh. to you for what what you've what you've done for them. Some really heartfelt stories about either people that have been in hospital going through hard times or people who have had family members in hospital, people have just been going through hard times in general and how the podcast has really helped them. Oh, that means a lot to me. So, yeah. So I've, I will send you, you on them so you can, you can read through them. Cause a lot of them I'd say are, are, are pretty private and I think sure. are meant more for you than, than they are for the, the general listening public. Okay. But then we move on to something completely different. <laughs> now, I would say these are the hardcore, let's get down to the meat and bones of World War Two in a serious academic way questions. Right. I'll put on my tie. I'm ready. So for these, I think we were talking about possibly doing a, a, a sort of extended members episode where you really cover the meat and bones of these questions, but also making it available on the main website as a, a free to download extra. Uh, yeah. Because these are something that are just a bit different. So for those kind of questions, uh, because I would like to do them justice and, and you, and if someone's taking the time to ask, that question, you really want to answer it as thoroughly as you can. So 
I will do some research. I'll make an episode out of those more serious questions. I'll give it, a, you know, give it some, some its due diligence. But again, I, and you had this idea earlier. Um, we'll put out the episode. It will be on the members feed, but it will also be on the website for everybody to to get because there was one question in particular put forward by Mick P uh, about the Japanese their treatment of prisoners, and yet maybe getting a bit of a pass because of the atomic bombs. Those are the questions and stuff like that that I really want to go into. So I'll do some research. I'll answer all those questions in detail. Paul and I will put out the episode, and hopefully that will be that will be something that will answer everybody's questions because I'm sure they have their own opinion on it as well. They've probably done a fair amount of research, and hopefully I can add on to their knowledge because at the end of the day, that's all I'm trying to do is just say, hey, here's the story of World War II. I hope you enjoy it. Well, that's all the that's all the jovial questions come to an end, right? Okay. So just just the hardcore stuff left to to cover now in, in in a different episode. But I think it's been a real tribute to you and all the work that you've put in over the last ten years. Uh, as I say, uh, there is obviously people have asked you know semi serious questions and. And uh, and fun questions, but there's just been a lot of people who have just sent sent in very heartfelt thank yous for the work that you've done on the podcast and what has helped them through. And it sounds like you know doing the podcast has you know helped you through some things as well. So I suppose it is swings and roundabouts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as long as and this is going to sound strange, as long as I don't think too much and I just do the job, things have a way of working out uh, best for everybody. I get something out of it. The listeners get something out of it. And I just want to say this real quick because I know it's it's been 50-something minutes. We're about to wrap up. But people only have so many minutes during the day. And the idea that you give me 20 to 32 minutes out of your your schedule when an episode comes out and you take your time to listen to that, uh, I can never, ever, ever thank you people enough uh, for sharing your time with me because there's only so much of it. So um, for a lot of you have said, I have earned a little place in your life. I thank you humbly for that. And hopefully I can just keep that going and we can both... Um, just share this experience together because the story of World War II is absolutely incredible. I'm not doing anything amazing. I'm just telling the story of these people. And and the most important thing is we never want to forget what happened.